good morning. I'm glad to see you. Everybody wide away. You doing good? Look at the person next to you saying, you look good today. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Don't you feel better already? Yeah. Now, we've been talking about life hacks. You know what life hacks are? It's kind of a shortcut to get to where you want to go, right? And we've been talking about different ones of them. And to, we're basing this on James, the first chapter, verse 22, that says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So what we've been talking about is you can hear about these, you can learn about these, but you've got to apply these for them to do any good, right? So, you know, if you buy a treadmill, right? You have to turn it on and use it. You can't just let it collect us for it to do you any good. You join the gym, right? You go work out. We joined the gym just in time for COVID. Yeah, we haven't been since. We, we didn't make it because we're both a little bit, uh, you know, at risk, Laura and I. But you knew that about us already, right? And so we're not able to go. But hey, we walk in the neighborhood, right? So you have to apply. Now, these are significant, helpful, practical life hacks. And application is everything. Do you remember the number one life hack two weeks ago was to... Forgive, right? Y'all remember that because forgiven people forgive. That's right. I am so impressed. Y'all are so good. You can come back next week. You actually listen. That's great. And the number two life hack is to confess. See, genuine confession leads to genuine change. So that's the reason that we confess is we actually want to see things differently in our lives. We want to see ourselves change. Today, the number three life hack is rest. Isn't that great? So you felt better already just knowing that. Because some of you, this is the time when you take your power nap, right? Because when I preach, then you just kind of nod off, right? And you ought, to, you ought to pay me extra for that. You ought to send more money in to the church for that because I'm helping you. Because that's just the kind of guy I am. You know what I'm saying? But we're a generation of exhausted people. And we live at an unsustainable pace. How many of you like goes too fast? Even yeah. even, even with quarantine, I mean, when we got kind of bored, we, we find ways, don't we, to kind of make up for that. And the problem is that, that it takes the joy out of our lives, that we just get deplenished emotionally, physically, relationally, and spiritually, and we're not at our best. And the good news is, that today I want to give you a way to fight back. Just, isn't that great? See, because here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, you know, this idea that you've got, it really, it doesn't really apply to me. And so what you're trying to do is to push back. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to fight back because I'm going to give you a life hack that you can use to fight back, okay? And to understand that the challenge is there. So don't push back, fight back, right? Right. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank both of you for that. Now, you know that your Heavenly Father is ready to help you, right? Not only does He want this for you, but He commanded it. There's no neutrality today with this life hack. You have to do it. You see, because you'll either suffer the consequences if you don't apply it, or you'll benefit from them if you do. I'm going to share two Bible stories with you today. The first Bible story that we're going to look at today is where this life hack was not 
applied and how there was some failure involved there. The second scripture I'm going to show you a little bit later is how this life hack was applied and how it benefited. And so th that's what we're going to do. The first story is from 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, and it has to do with that great prophet, Elijah. Elijah was a prophet during the time of King Ahab. King Ahab was a terrible king. He was king over Israel. <clears throat> One of the reasons he was so bad was not just him, but his wife Jezebel. Have you heard of her? Jezebel is bad news. He married this woman who worshipped the false god Baal, and she brought false god worship into Israel. And of course, God is not happy about that, and Elijah is not happy about that. And Elijah decided to propose a challenge. He, he challenged the prophets of Baal. There were 450 of them. And he said, here's what I want to do. Let's go up on Mount Carmel. And, and we both say we have gods, right? You say you have your God, I say I have my God. Let's go up there, let's both build altars on Mount Carmel up there. And then what I want to do is whoever God sends fire down to consume their altar, then he is the one true God, okay? And they're fired up. They say, let's go, game on, they're ready. And so that's what happens. They go up, I've been to Mount Carmel. I've been, and let me tell you, I walked carefully while I was up there, okay? Because you never know, right? And I'm looking off in the valley, and they're reading the Bible story, and they're telling me about it, and it's just fascinating. So they both build an altar. And so Elijah's very polite. He says, you guys go first. And so they say, okay. And so they build an altar, and they get ready, and they start praying. Now, they start praying in the morning, and they're praying. They're, they're, there's 450 of them. They're after it, right? And by noon, they're still praying. They're early afternoon. Now it's getting late in the day. We're running out of time. You know, the daylight's going away. And so they finally give up. They're exhausted. And Elijah stands up, and he says, it's my turn. And so he has his altar there. Now, remember... Whoever God strikes the altar and consumes it with fire, that's who the one true God is, right? So Elijah, he builds his altar, he gets ready, and then he says this, Go get four buckets of water. Pour them on my altar right here. And so they do. They go get four buckets of water and they pour it on. You ever try to light a fire when the wood's wet? That, that ain't easy, okay? It's almost impossible. In fact, it would be impossible for me, let me just say. Right? Because it's hard for me just to light a fire that's dry, right? But So they go, second time, go get four more buckets of water, dump them on the altar. Third time, four more. By this time, it's completely drenched, and there's a pool of water around it. I mean, it's just soaking in water. And then he stands up, and he, he takes center stage, and he's ready to go. And he says, here's what I want. God, O oh God, the Father of Israel, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, answer me so that they may know that you alone are the one true God. That's what he says. And he says, send down fire and consume this altar. And instantly, fire rains down from heaven. It consumes that wet wood. It even laps up the water that's there. And guess what happens? Everybody gets on their knees and say, he's got the one true God. <laughs> it didn't take long to figure that out, did it? But he's not through. He turns to the 450 prophets of Baal and he says, you deceived the people. And then he takes his sword and he kills them, 450 of them. And it's a great victory for the Lord. 
And so then what happens is that, that um, after that, the story that we're going to look at now picks up in 1 Kings 19.1. And it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that he had done. He had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel's ticked off about it, and she sends a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Now what she's saying is, you know, if I don't have you killed by tomorrow, then I need to be killed, right? That's what she says. She's threatening his life. And she basically threatens him. And how does he respond? He says this, Elijah was afraid he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there. While he himself went to a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to the broom bush. He sat down under it. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he says. I'm through. Now, now here's what I want you to catch here. How did this guy, this prophet, this man of God, go from a place where he's taunting the people of the prophets of Baal? He's saying, hey, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he doesn't have time to do this right now. Maybe he's focused on something else. My God doesn't sleep. Maybe yours does. I mean, he's, he's actually trash-talking to them. And then he stands up and he proclaims, God, I'd ask you to just consume this altar. And that's what happens. How does he go from this great man of God to this guy who's scared for his life and running away? I mean, he's trusted God to do what God called him to do, but now he's afraid. Well, let me give you a clue about that. Here's what happens. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, I've had enough? How many of you have ever said, I've had enough, right? All the stress, all the pace, all the work, it's overwhelming. I'm just at the end of my rope. And it leads us to a dangerous place of disillusionment, discouragement, and depression. Because see, what happens is when we get tired, we get fatigued, that's when we don't have energy. That's when we just, we need rest, don't we? We need something to eat. We need something, to, some time to rest. And then we can be recharged and replenished and refreshed, right? And so if we don't get that, we're just so weak. And the circumstances of life start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And God starts looking smaller and smaller and smaller. At night, a lot of times, you know, Laura said her mother, my wife Laura said her mother used to say to her when she was young and growing up, when she was tired and worn out and getting ready to go to bed, she was talking about problems that she was having and what she had to do tomorrow. And her mother would always say, it'll look better in the morning. You know, get a good night's rest. You've eaten dinner, get a good night's rest. It'll look better in the morning. And so he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. It's no better than that of my ancestors. That's what he's talking about now. And, and he's just toast. He's just worn out, exhausted emotionally, physically, and mentally, and spiritually. He's just gone. And when our defenses are down, God knows that. And he knows that's true for Elijah. He knows it's true for you. And he knows it's true for me. And so we have to remember that. And what God does next is so important because here's what we think. We think, well, Elijah just needs a pep talk, right? If I just give him a pep talk, he'll be better. But that's not what he needs. Right now, what he needs is to rest, to replenish, to be renourished. And, and then when he's better, then that's the time to give him a pep talk. So in 1 Kings it says, And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. 
And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him again and said, Get up and eat, for your journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food and that rest, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. Now, what do we see there? He's so worn out. So what does he do? Here's a pattern that you see in his life, and it's one for us as well. He sleeps, he eats. He sleeps, he eats. He exercises, he goes for a walk, and he sleeps again. Sound good? We can apply that, can't we? And so the whole time, guess what's happening? God is recharging him physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And then out of that, what does God do? He, he doesn't speak to him when he's not ready. He waits and gets him ready. And then when he's ready, that's when he speaks to him. His timing is perfect. And that leads us to our number three life hack today, which is... Rest. See, y'all picked up on that. You liked that one, didn't you? So have you ever noticed that when you come to the spiritual disciplines, here's something that you probably never thought of. And I, I want you to catch this. I don't want you to miss this, okay? Are you focused? You paying I want you resting, but not right now. Okay, focus. Listen to me, all right? Here's the thing. When you talk about spiritual disciplines, rest is very, very rarely mentioned. Have you ever thought about that? What do we go to right away? Okay, spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, devotion, giving. All those things take place, but what about rest? In the beginning, God created the world, and He did it in six days. What did He do on the seventh? He rested. Why did He do that? Because He wanted to model it for you and me. And then He put it in the Ten Commandments. He said, there's a Sabbath. Make sure you observe it. Marcus Buckingham is a great writer, a business writer and researcher, and he wrote a book, and in that book he said, I interviewed 1,000 children and youth, ages 3rd grade to 12th grade. And I said to them, if you could change anything about your parents' work and the way it affects your life, if you could make a wish, what would it be? And I want you to hear this, because if you've got kids, man, this will really speak to you. This is what most children wished that their mothers and fathers were less tired and less stressed. And it's a huge issue. The kids were saying, Mom and Dad, we want you rested, replenished, and energized. Now, now here's what I know you're thinking. i got to push back from that because I don't know how to fix it. I don't want you to push back. I want you to fight back, and I want you to fight back with this life hack to rest. Rest, replenishment, to be re-energized, and to be passionate. And that's true for Elijah, it's true for you, and it's true for me. Now, you know who got this right? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus got it right, didn't he? What do you see all the time in Scripture? You know, when, when we open up our to-do list in the morning, and you look at your to-do list and you're overwhelmed, does it ever say in there, be the Savior of the world? Anybody get that? Because if you do, there's some counselors here to talk to you when this is over, all right? But, but every day that Jesus looked at his to-do list, it said, just be the Savior of the whole world. See, and I know that we feel like we have a lot on us, 
And we do. And I know that we're stressed out. I know there's a lot going on. I get that. But I want you to understand that Jesus really did have the weight of the world on him. And yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so he was tired and exhausted and stressed just like you and me. And if the Savior of the world had to get away to rest and to recoup and to benefit, then surely we do, right? And so that's, that's what we need to remember. There's a pattern in a life, and I want to challenge us with this. After Jesus worked, he would work, right? And then what would he do? He would get away, and he would rest and be replenished and pray and reflect and look back and look ahead and re-engage. It's a pattern over and over again. Now, a few years ago, the church sent Laura and me to this retreat. It's a wonderful retreat. It's for clergy and spouses. And we went out to Colorado Springs and we went up on this mountain and we stayed at this retreat center up there. And there were just four couples there in, in these four little cabins. And then there was a lodge there. And all of that was looking out up at Pikes Peak. It was so cool. And so we stayed there and we were there for a whole week. The food was great. The counselors there, what they did was they would meet every morning at 10. We would have a breakfast in our cabin. At 10 to 12, we would meet. We would go over the tests that we took and just kind of talk about that some. And then we'd have lunch together. And then we'd either meet with those counselors two at a time or we would have free time in the afternoon. Well, the first few days we were there, they warned us and they said, okay, you're at a different altitude here. And you know, I'm all about elevation. I mean, how many of you really know me, right? If you know me, you know I'm all over elevation. What's the elevation? I want to know that. Well, they said, look, it's a high elevation here, so you're going to be worn out. So, you know, you, because you're not used to that thin air up there, you're going to have to just kind of take it easy. And so I, I took advantage of that. I agreed with them, and I said, okay, I can do that. In the first few days, we just read our Bibles, did our devotional, stayed right there at the lodge and back and forth in the cabin. We didn't do anything. We rested. But then, after a few days of that, when we got kind of rested and we made the trip and now we're ready, then we started doing some little side trips along the way. Well, let me tell you, that's the truth for all of us. We need that. Now, here's a second scripture that I want us to look at. And it's in Matthew, the 14th chapter. It says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was alone. Uh, there alone. And, and so then what happened? Well, here's what happened. He, he drew away from the crowd. He rested. He recovered. He replenished. He did it again and again, and he just spent some time in prayer. And then reflecting on what God had called him to do, the next day he was ready and he re-engaged. Now that's a pattern for you and me to follow. He models a sustainable pace for us. Say that, sustainable pace, right? Okay, now I want you to catch this. You ready? Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. That'll preach right there. I don't care who you are. That's good. And, and if you go full speed, you'll never have a chance to rest and recover, and your life will go to a bad place. So let me give you a couple of practical tips on how you can do that, okay? First, have a 24-hour Sabbath. Pull away from email, from Facebook, from Twitter, from your job, whatever it is, just get away from that and relax. 
And this is going to be shocking to you, but here's what's going to happen. You can actually get to a place where you enjoy that. <laughs> you know, some people have a hard time doing that. There are people who can't sit down. They just can't sit down. They, they got to move and go all the time. And then what happens is they just crash in the bed at night, you know, because they've never rested. They've never gone to that. <clears throat> and you begin to enjoy that. Sabbath doesn't mean you just have to sit down, but maybe you do. That's what you want to do. Or maybe you want to go for a walk and enjoy nature and burn some calories. Or maybe you just want to be outside and go for a hike and enjoy what's going on. Enjoy life. Go out to dinner with friends, cook a meal, enjoy people, enjoy your children. And you'll see that your to-do list, if you just do that over and over again and you never do any of these other things, then you'll be robbed of the joy of life. It's just all work and no play. You get it, right? So we need that. And then remind yourself that it's a blessing for us to take advantage of that, to disengage. Now the second thing, no phone at night or in the morning. Right before you go to bed, right when you first wake up in the morning. Because here's what's going to happen. You're getting ready to go to bed, and you go, oh, I better check my email. Any of you have been known to do that? Anybody want to point at your spouse and say, they do. Yeah. Okay, so what happens then? You read it, and it's, the, it's a customer who's got a complaint. It's your boss who's telling you about something. And now you're all worked up. And now you, you toss and turn all. That's all you can think about all night long because you're focused on that. And then here's the thing that's remarkable. Did you know that email will still be there in the morning? Wow. And so it'll be okay. You can wait. So after you've rested and replenished, then you're going to be at a better place to deal with it, aren't you? Now here's another thing. When your alarm goes off, don't just grab your phone and start looking to find the latest news. I've got to see it. I've got to read it now. I've got to have it. <laughs> Some of y'all do that. Okay, so the first thing you can do is talk to Jesus, talk to God. Just say, Lord, I'm glad to, that I'm here, <laughs> glad to see you, glad to talk to you. What do you want to do in me and through me? And let's talk about today. Let's just spend some time together. The best thing to do, eat something, go for a little walk. You can walk and talk to God at the same time. And then what happens is you get rebooted. It reboots your mind and it moves you to a better place. Listen, life moves to a better place. When you move at a sustainable pace. That's right. So here's my homework assignment. Are you ready? Yeah. I want you to ask this question, okay? Is my current pace sustainable? Is my current pace sustainable? And here's what I want you to do. If you are a guy, I want you to ask your wife, is my current pace sustainable? If you're a wife, I want you to ask your husband, is my current pace sustainable? If you're single, I want you to ask your friends. Get a group together and say, is my life sustainable, my pace? And then whatever it is, you say, over the last 90 days, is my current pace sustainable in life? And if they say yes, you say, okay, here's what I'm going to do to maintain momentum with that. And if they say no, then you say, well, the choice is mine. I've got to choose to do that. I can either reap the benefits of rest or I can suffer the consequences of not doing what I'm talking about doing. And nobody's immune. Elijah wasn't immune. You're not immune. I'm not immune. Jesus was not immune. He spent time resting and being at peace there. And you know what? Here's the great thing. Rest is not just about resting. Now, write this down. 
Write this down, I'm telling you. Do you know what rest is about? These are tied together. Rest is about trust. Rest and trust go hand in hand. They go together all the time. If I trust in God, I can rest in God. You hear that? So rest is not just about rest. It's about trusting God. You know, if you choose not to rest, you're choosing not to trust. And you don't want to do that, do you? We don't want to do that. And so we have to live that way. And so I can't, I can't get it done in six days. And so we say to God, Lord, I'm working, but I can't get it done in six days. I'm doing my best, and now I'm going to rest, and I'm going to trust you. And I just pray that you'll help me to get what I can done done, and then I'll hit it again, but I'm going to rest. And it's always associated with trust. And when you wake up, you'll be rested and replenished and trusting in Him. And that's why this life hack of rest is so important. Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this wisdom. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this message. I just pray that we might take it to heart. Lord, it doesn't do us any good to listen and not use it. We've got to apply it. We've got to Make it a reality in our lives. That's, that's why you give it to us. And so, Lord, it's from your word. It's not me. It's, it's from your word, and it teaches us. You have principles in life, and you want us to live by those principles. And so I pray, Lord, that we might take it to heart. When we look at spiritual disciplines, Lord, help us remember. It's in the Ten Commandments that you want us to rest. And we just celebrate that, and we rest in you. I pray in your Son's name. Amen.